This podcast is sponsored by GCK Consulting, a next generation political consulting firm. From fundraising to polling to campaign strategy, GCK is helping get millennials elected all across the country. To learn more about GCK and their services, just go to gckconsults.com. Again, that's gckconsults.com. All right, now to the podcast. Welcome to the Millennial Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Valerie. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And today I'm joined by Ariana Barringer, former Democratic candidate for Pennsylvania Lieutenant Governor and co-founder of Fight the Power Pack. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Jordan. Glad to be here. Yeah. So, Ariana, could you tell us about your run for Lieutenant Governor and how it inspired you to start Fight the Power? So when I uh, jumped into the race for Lieutenant Governor, I really did it in, in the state of Pennsylvania. Um, we have no campaign finance laws whatsoever. Um, and I jumped in knowing full well that the system and the structures that have been put in place in Pennsylvania politics were kind of set up in a way not to allow people like me to run for office. So, I mean, like I grew up in poverty. I grew up as the youngest of 10 kids and there was not a whole lot for us. And I recognized that the lieutenant governor's post could be doing so much more at the time. People that sat in that role really didn't do a whole lot. There was a whole community of people that were not being, not being thought about or addressed. So I ran and I was kind of the underdog from day one. You know, I'm, I'm 36 now, but I was 35 then. Um, you know, don't come from a background of wealth. And so when you're running statewide in a pretty big state like this is, it takes it takes money to do that. And I'm a mom of three, 13, 11 and three. So it's not like they're older. Um, and it was, you know, it was really difficult for my family because I also had to continue to work. And when we were getting closer to the end of um, the campaign, the other candidates in the race just come from such wealthy families, right? They just have so much money. Um, I think one candidate was able to loan herself like $500,000. I'd never be able to do that. If for me, I couldn't continue to ask my supporters to contribute what $25 they had or $50 they had because it was just never going to stack up to what these very um, wealthy candidates had of their own money. Uh, and so I jumped out of the race, but in doing so, I called to light the fact that here we have people making ridiculous and significant contributions of money to their their campaigns. I mean, our, um, you know, our eventual nominee, his family is extremely Republican, wealthy Republican family and completely funded his campaign. But I called them out because I feel like unless we are willing to be honest, even as the Democratic Party or even as progressives, unless we're willing to be honest about that, unless we're being honest about the way that campaign finance laws really ensure that a particular class of people hold elected office, you know, things are never going to change. So I founded a PAC, which sounds funny, right? Like, okay, she's talking about money and politics, but the money that we raised as a PAC, even this last cycle, we put towards candidates who believe the same things I believe around the campaign finance laws and really are trying to change, change that narrative too. So how did your candidates do this cycle? They won. (laughs) Um, And it was really, really great. I mean, so 
Um, as soon as I jumped out of my race for lieutenant governor, I joined as campaign chair for Sarah Inamorato in the 21st district um, outside of Pittsburgh, in Pittsburgh. And she won. She beat an incumbent Democrat who had held that seat for a very long time. And we were super pumped. And of the four candidates that we put money behind, three won. Um, the only one that didn't win was in a district that has been Republican for a very, very long time. And it was literally a handful of votes that, that changed that election. So I think, you know, if we have the opportunities to be putting this money behind candidates who are progressive, um, it just so happened that all of them were members of the Democratic Socialists of America. But when we have that opportunity to do that, to get behind people like that, um, I know that we're able to at least start breaking down these these walls of, of campaign finance laws. And what do the results of the 2018 midterms in your state mean for progressive policies and priorities? I mean, we're going to have a progressive caucus in Pennsylvania, and I don't think we've had one before, right? Like there is now a groundswell of representation in Pennsylvania around raising the minimum wage around, uh, you know, and in Pennsylvania, it hasn't changed in a very long time. I think we're still at seven twenty-five an hour and for tipped workers, it's $2 and 33 cents, I think something like that. So, you know, we now have a, a, a caucus of people who are out there championing or will be championing legislation that uh, directly impacts everyday working Pennsylvanian. And I'm really proud to see that and to, to have had a small part in that. And that's a pretty big change from 2016. Most of our listeners probably know that Pennsylvania went to Trump, but Democrats also lost a Senate race that they were very hopeful about. What exactly changed between 2016 and 2018? So it's really interesting. In Pennsylvania, we obviously went through a redistricting of our congressional map. And so that's why we now have elected four Democratic women to the U.S. Congress, which is huge. Uh, so that was one area. But I think on the grander scale it, across the state where we saw people winning in districts that had been primarily Republican before um, and even statewide like the U.S. Senate race, it was organizing. It was organizing on the local level. It was People, I think, coming out to vote that didn't vote before. And I'm not some like political prognosticator. I don't know all the, the, the statistics and the details. I just know what I saw and who I saw coming out and people that were engaged. And I think there is a part of this that is, you know, Trump and people don't want um, that to be what Pennsylvania is remembered for. So I'm hopeful for 2020. But it is, I think it was just really people that saw the direction of our country as a whole and felt like, well, maybe they can make a, a difference, at least on the local level, and came out to vote. And your Democratic governor won re-election by a pretty strong margin. Do you see him as an ally to progressive causes? I think it's remaining to be seen. I mean, I think he's he's done some really good work for uh, organizations around women's uh, reproductive rights. And, you know, Planned Parenthood was a very big supporter of his. I have yet to see real policy or legislation work around protecting our environment. In fact, like we have been struggling to get a, a tax on drillers that, you know, um, drill, extract natural gas 
And we don't have one where all our neighboring states do, right? So I think there are some pretty significant progressive policies that have not come out of our governor's office. I'm hopeful in these next four years, especially with the changing demographics of Democrats in uh, holding legislative uh, office right now, that that will change. Um, and maybe just because it's his second term, he'll be a little more bold and progressive because I think that's really what it takes, right? Like we It takes leadership. It takes leaders who are bold enough to stand up and say, hey, this isn't okay, right? This minimum wage in Pennsylvania is not okay. Families can't live on 725. And I think that's one of the areas in which the governor and I differed was that he was for a $12 minimum wage. And like, I grew up with a mom who was waiting three different waitressing jobs just to try to make ends meet and couldn't do that. And uh, so I really know the impact that $15 would really have for families. So I'm hopeful. I haven't seen it yet, but I but I'm hopeful. And how are you and other activists going to go about pushing Democratic legislators to be more progressive and to be bold? You know, I think it's a matter of holding their feet to the fire when they when they when they're not. Um, so we talk about guns or we talk about, you know, economic policy. It's being vocal, being out there. I mean, I'm fortunate enough that I've got some pretty good people around me that know how to put out a an ad and with the internet, it makes it pretty easy to get your message out there and to reach a reach a population of people who um, need to know what the facts are. They need to know what what's really going on. And so that's the other half of what we're doing with Fight the Power Pack. You know, when there is elected officials, when there are elected officials or when there are folks who are being a little, um, what's the word I'm looking for, where they're not being entirely honest with their, you know, with the community about where they stand on an issue or if they are saying one thing to somebody and some, something else to some, you know, something different to someone else, we're going to call them out. Um, and we'll put an ad up on TV. We'll put an ad up online. We will, you know, we will do that. And I think that it is important that everyone knows who and what people stand for and how they act even when the, the door is closed. And what are your plans for the 2020 elections? You no, know, I think it's going to be a little bit both of that, right? Like, um, Right now, this cycle, I've gotten a couple of people who reached out to me to talk about just running in 2019, right? Some of these city council races. And and in 2020, I think it will be the same. I think we'll see more people stepping up to run for office. And I am a huge proponent of supporting candidates who are going to go out there and fight for us. So, And they know that, right? So, And I'm not asking for anything in return. I'm asking to help you. Um, I'm not going to take any of your money. In fact, I want to raise money for you. So I think that's also a different dynamic in that I I don't have an ulterior motive here. I really just want to see good people elected to office. I am a little partial to women. I am a little partial to women of color. I'd like to see more of that representation happening in Pennsylvania. I mean, we've never elected a person of color to our executive offices statewide. You know, we've never elected a person of color or a woman of color to the United States Congress, or a person of color to the U.S. Senate. So, you know, there is a long way to go in Pennsylvania uh, when it comes to equality, and uh, I'll be I'll be fighting that battle too. 
Hey everyone, I'm Nathan. And I'm Dylan. And as you know, Millennial Politics is totally independent and volunteer run. That means every podcast you listen to, every article you read, and every tweet you see is created by a dedicated team of volunteers. It also means that we can say what we want to say when we want to say it, but we rely on listeners just like you to support our work. We hope you'll consider supporting us by subscribing at patreon.com slash millenpolitics. Every dollar will go directly towards our mission of shining a spotlight on progressive candidates, causes, and organizations. And if you subscribe at the ambassador level or more, we'll send you a free copy of How Our Government Really Works Despite What They Say. It's an award-winning book about the intricacies of American government, and you'll get to join our exclusive ambassador Slack channel and get to hang out with us all day, every day. I pretty much live there. So if that appeals to you, come join us. And we want to give a very special shout out to our executive producer, Greg Stevens, and our producers, Brad Tracy and Renee Garcia-Brown. Again, if you want to continue hearing interviews and conversations just like this one, we hope you'll visit patreon.com slash millenpolitics. That's patreon.com slash M-I-L-L-E-N politics and join the movement. All right, now back to the show. What exactly is the importance of local governance? What actions can they take against the assault of civil liberties and freedoms we're seeing on a federal level? I mean, I it, it, it's all local, right? So it starts in in the cities, in municipalities, in um, our local communities. If we can start putting legislation to the forefront that impacts our climate, right? Like drilling. That's a huge issue for us right now. We've got, even in my own community, fracking is happening. And that's at a risk for our water, our children's health. And on a local level, you can put in place limitations and restrictions that when they work, our state legislatures can see that they work and they can start seeing some, um, you know, action happen on a local level. And when they see it happen in states, then we can start seeing federal laws that that help to make those issues. And that's just one small, you know, not small one, but one. And I think we can start to see those issues gain traction because it happens locally first. And how are you going to keep the progressive and democratic energy going beyond Donald Trump? (laughs) That's right. That's where I come back to. We need bold leadership. We need people who are willing to buck the party when it needs to be, right? And stand up and and take risks. And I think it's when other people see our elected officials doing that, when they are out there talking about issues that directly impact them on a day-to-day basis, but they're not afraid of their party, they're not afraid of backlash, but they're just ready to to be bold and to be out there and, and support those issues that matter to everyday people. I think that's how we get past it being a referendum on Trump that everyone says that it is, right? I think that if we can come out with good ideas and fresh ideas and actually help people, then we'll keep that momentum going. And as I'm sure you know, on the left, there is a fair bit of skepticism about electoral politics, about engaging in the system. What do you say to leftists activists who are critical of electoral politics and are skeptical of working within that system. I mean, I just go back to what we did with Sarah in Amarato's campaign, right? Like, so she went up against a uh, entrenched 
you know, Democrat in, in Pittsburgh where we had our local party officials not allowing the primary to be a really an open primary, right? They, they did almost everything they could so that Sarah couldn't really participate or be a part of it. And she kept going. She went out there and knocked on every door. I knocked on doors with her, right? Like it was this very much the most grassroots kind of campaign you've ever seen. And that direct connection with voters made a difference. And I saw a lot of people, these Democratic activists, see her out there doing this work. And she won. And that didn't happen just in her race. Uh, Summer Lee out here in Pittsburgh as well. She went up against an entrenched Democrat. She did the exact same thing. Organized people, had them out knocking doors. And I think those people that think the Democratic Party politics or party politics in general is just not their speed. They can't get, you know, like they're not going to be able to crack that code. Well, guess what? You don't have to. You don't have to run as a Democrat, but run your own campaign. Run something that's authentic to you. Be yourself. If you look at what Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is doing on her Instagram stories, if you haven't, you should. She's amazing. She's out there being herself. And she ran a campaign that was very similar to that. Like, I think that if we see more of that, that these people who feel like they can't participate or can't be a part of it or don't feel like they connect in any kind of way, when they see candidates doing that, when they see people just being who they are, then it feels more available. It feels like we can actually be a part of this. We can actually have this conversation and do this together. And lastly, where can folks find you online and how can they get involved with Fight the Power Pack? So um, we are on Twitter, though I'm terrible at it. I will admit that right now. Um, I think I admitted that to you too, Jordan. You did indeed. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just not good at it. You know why it is? It's because I feel like Twitter's so snarky and I'm really not a snarky person, so I just don't fit in. Um, but I am on Instagram. Fight the Power Pack is on Instagram. Um, I myself am on both platforms, Ariana Berenger. Uh, and if you want to get involved, just reach out to me, DM me. And, and let's talk about your state. Let's talk about uh, your community. Let's talk about what's important to you. And this is something that can be easily replicated. And uh, I think we should be replicating it. And I'd be happy to help anybody. All it takes is a phone call, uh, you know, DM me, I'll text you, you don't have to call if you don't want to. And I think that's, that's how we, we take our country back, right, is these small uh, organizations who are getting behind candidates who are making a difference locally and, and in their state. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast and telling us about your work. Thanks, Jordan. It was great to be here. Yeah, and we hope to get you on again in the future. I'd love that. Perfect. And lastly, to our listeners, make sure to follow Millennial Politics on social media, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, and tune into the Progressive Radio Network every week at 8pm Eastern to hear our newest episodes. Thanks for listening.